everybody. Welcome to the PFFA podcast. I'm Kyle McLowry, and I'm calling this episode the Sunday Morning Podcast. It was recorded yesterday, Sunday, August 9th, and I will let the episode speak for itself. Um, it is, however, a very topical discussion of the uh, some of the big issues that are affecting our membership. As we are recording during the times of COVID, uh, the windows are open, the doors are open, and we're sitting quite far apart. So um, you hear lots of background noise, cars going by, and so forth. Hope it's not too distracting. Thanks for listening. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Happy Sunday morning. Mm. Here we are yep. at the Union Hall. Thanks. Good, Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Kyle, for having us. It's uh, Alan Freshwater, Union President. We have Travis Chipman, your Secretary-Treasurer. And vice president, it's not an emeritus no. because we never voted on it. No. No. Um, His name's member, Kyle. Member at large. Member at large. Yeah, that works. Good morning. Member in good standing. Yes, you are. Thank you for uh, having us here. I wanted to have a, a brief conversation. I think that um, you know, over the past couple months, things have been moving pretty quick. There's been a lot of emotions out there. And I just wanted to talk about a couple of things. And one of the biggest things I want to talk about is... You know, we were supposed to have a membership meeting right around 10 days ago where we talked about the commissioner, talked about some of the comments that were made. I delayed that conversation and now I feel like it's a perfect time to have that conversation. The commissioner had made some comments, one about that the police were starting the fires, and that the police department and the fire department couldn't put the fires out that were starting. It really caused a lot of uproar in our, in our members. And I don't blame him. I heard those comments, and it was something that was pretty surprising to hear, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, and quite quickly, I called uh, the mayor's chief of staff, I was, or I'm sorry, uh, Hardesty's chief of staff. Very, very quickly was, Hardesty is coming out. She is going to apologize for her comments. Yep. She is, um, it was interesting to hear. You know, when I talked to her chief of staff, and she said, you know, Hardesty is living by herself. She has nobody to take care of her in terms of, you know, when I'm at home, we eat regular meals. We drink right. a lot of water. We're taking right. care of our stuff. Hardesty has been at a point where she's up all night. She's not sleeping. She, yeah. She's in a very stressful situation. What was really interesting is that it made me think of the sleep deprivation that we do. <laughs> yeah. And for a second, I was like, that is a good example of what we do when we get off on a double and we were up all night and we go home it can be a little bit ir irrational at times i've heard that yeah yeah and so it was really interesting and it, that wasn't the time to kind of bring it up but it was a really interesting correlation on um on some of those things that were said and so this is a conversation just to let you know where we're at today uh, we do want to hear your feedback um, we're talking about uh, after this podcast asking everybody to listen to this podcast and then we're going to ask to uh, get some more of your feedback because I don't want you to think that we are sweeping anything down, uh, sweeping anything under the rug on what the commissioner said, um, but we did want to have that conversation. So let me interrupt you real quick. As far as feedback, full disclosure, we've been sitting here for a while chatting, so I know that you have been getting some phone calls and texts just from the membership, people having different viewpoints about multiple different issues. Is there a, a, like a format that was most preferable for you? I know if you know 400 people gave you a phone call, 
that might be a lot to, to answer. Is there, I mean, have you thought about that, the best way to get feedback? Is there a preferred method or what do you guys think as far as, let's say, you know, uh, Kyle at Station 15 wants to, to tell you something. Is it a phone call, email, text? What is, what know, is the preferred? I, I think that there is a very, very, I'll answer it three different ways and you know me so that's how I do it. Um, we have the district reps that are able to absorb information right. and be able to filter that back up. That is a really easy way for funneling a large amount of information. Uh, now I'm going to say something different and I would say if, if members are upset about something though, yeah. the direct phone call is the best way to do it. That's my personal opinion. So we have the six primary officers, um, and we believe that when somebody has an issue that they want to talk right. about, I don't think it's fair to call the district rep and to be upset about okay. that. Understood. And so, and then I'll say it another way, is that if somebody wants to give in, input that is um, non-emotional, um, that's factual, and just giving us their input, an email works really well too. And I'll give you an example. We've gotten, you know, one specific one is, you know, when we didn't do the meeting because of everything that was going on, we got emails that said, hey, just want to let you know, I think that's the right move. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of emotions going on. Want we let for things to sell down. That's a perfect way to get an email. Right. Um, we did get emails the other way of going, we wanted to hear it. We want you to hear what we have to say. Yeah. Uh, and then there was three paragraphs of what they wanted to say. And on that one, that might be better just to do as a phone call so we can get it. Right. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of doing it different things. So multiple, there's multiple avenues. That's always a good, a good answer yeah. too. I so would say for non, um, for issues that are not controversial, the district rep is the perfect way to do it. Okay. Because that is, they can get it. I'm not putting them in the middle, but if I'm the one that's making a decision on a specific issue, that district rep should not have to take the heat for okay. what I'm doing. And I would say, as a former vice president, anybody out there, they want, they can call any primary officer that they feel most comfortable talking to if there's something that they're heated about or they really uh, want to get the, the information. Doesn't, not every call has to go right through you. I'm just speaking, that maybe you feel like it should. Um, but I would, I would say if there's somebody who wants to talk to Terry, they want to talk to Rob, you know, or Isaac, Jason, whatever, they can, they all, you agree, are appropriate phone calls to make? Yes. Okay. And, you know, and I think that especially on the ones that I appreciate the most, too, are in some, like we had one of the members called me correctly and said, um, I disagree with what Hardy said. I think that you can stand up right now. We called back, we had a 10 minute conversation, right. and at the end of the conversation he said, well, I disagree with you, but I understand uh, what you are. And it was a very, it was a conversation. And whereas getting emails, I would say this, is that we've gotten emails where it's, I would say you can do stuff in an email or a text that you wouldn't do in person or you wouldn't do on the phone. Sure. And when there's emotions on there, the best way to do conversations like that, in my opinion, is either to be in person or to be on the phone. Okay. Okay. So did you have, <coughs> excuse me, did you have anything um, more, I guess, specific or to the point of the, uh, the message from Hardesty, our commissioner? Did you want to speak to that, anything else other than that it was a topic and people are talking about it? 
Um, was there anything message-wise about that that you want to clarify or you want to get yeah, out? You know, and I think that their office really wanted to let us know that she was, if an apology didn't come across as what people thought an apology should be, that their office wanted to let us know how sorry their office was in totality, not just the commissioner, but their chief of staff of going, those comments were hurtful, Yeah, they were inflammatory, and their whole office struggled. And I think it's, it's similar to a day where maybe the whole e-board, when I say something that the e-board disagrees with, um, and they're disappointed with me, that's a similar feeling. And so they wanted to let us know for sure. Yeah. No, they have no evidence the police are starting the fires. Yeah. They have, when they say the fire department couldn't put those fires out, what they meant is that that environment isn't something they want to put us in. You can physically, of course the fire department can put it in, of course. but in terms of the emotions running high, your commissioner was never going to put people in there. Right. Um, you know, and um, it was interesting because as you look at what has transgressed, especially that meeting was supposed to be on a Tuesday. Over that weekend, I spoke to the, the chief of staff for Hardesty multiple times. Um, uh, had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people, the fire chief, with everybody. Um, and the one that was the, I think the, the turning point was the with the mayor. And it was great because um, I had troubles, obviously his mailbox full, Yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, and then Monday morning, I emailed their staff and I said, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of the mayor this weekend. And they emailed back and said, okay, we're moving something, you're on at 1040. Right. And you got 20 minutes. If you need more, we'll have to schedule somewhere. I said, 20 is perfect. Right. And I talked to the mayor and I said, mayor, here's what's going on. Here's the statements that are made. There's what's going on. And his response to me was, Alan, this is the plan. <clears throat> And I wouldn't say it's a five-point plan or whatever, yeah. but it yeah. was. We've almost got the feds to move out. I've asked for the National Guard twice. I've asked for the state police. The governor has said no every time. Now what's changed is that the federal government now is talking. They're ready to move out. The governor has given the state police authority to come in. Right. And this is the plan. And he said, if I can get Hardesty to work with me on de-escalating right. and, and, and to, to go against the the violence he yes. goes this is a plan and we will get this done and it will might take two weeks might take a month but we will have an end game and that was three hours before that conversation with the members and i said okay that is absolutely new information right. that is going to change the direction of where we're going to go with the conversation and so right when the commissioner took office in january 2019 we did go neutral on that so we did not support her we didn't go against her um, I would say this is that has that relationship been difficult? At times it has been difficult. I think the communication has been hard. Um, I worked with Saltzman for seven years as a president, so right. I knew exactly who he was. I knew what conversations he would have. I knew he was non-emotional. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if he was still here, we'd be endorsing him to stay on city council. That's that's how much that relationship yeah, weird. It's weird. Yeah. But he was just pragmatic and he yeah. was just like here's the issues that I need to have what do you need to do right um, and so but when we look at what we've done people are saying Hardesty hasn't done anything for me and again this isn't sticking up for anybody but I just want to lay the groundwork of what it is and and since she came in in January of 2019 we were successful both because of her and the mayor of putting FPD in our spot that we got PTSI legislation when the fire chief 
and the union and the commissioner's office worked, they got us COVID presumption for our members. We have the best COVID presumption in the state by far. We're the only ones that have it, ironically. I mean, that never happens. When we lobby in Salem, mm -hmm. we're always like, please bring Portland along. Right. That was a direct result of the commissioner's office. They were supportive of us getting the heart and lung for, uh, for Portland firefighters in the February session that ended up dying. Yeah. And, but they are supportive of that. When you look at the CARES Act and the leave with the COVID, they made sure that we were getting, so the COVID leave, you were supposed to get a maximum of like $590 a shift to maximum of 80 hours and they said nope you're getting full pay for the shifts and you're getting it for all six of the things including yeah. child care and you're getting it for the full two weeks which is 103.84 hours for all city employees for all city employees but the fire is the one that has the opposite or the other work hours okay right. so that's what and we are the only ones that are optional so for some reason public safety is optional oh. so that did not have to be done and they stuck up for us you know, and then you look at the contract and, you know, whether you like the contract or not, one, I'm a huge fan of it. At the end of the day, our firefighters will be making almost 100000 We're going to be working 50.4 hours a week. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of wins. It's a huge contract and it will make an effect for our lives forever. And so she has done stuff for us. What I find that's difficult is that the work that she's done for us uh, is difficult with the words that she says. And I just wish she would think about the things that she says that might cause disruption to our members and to me as well. well. I mean, as far as I understand, it was just, I mean, I don't know if there was any other instances that people had issues with. I think from my point of view, it was mostly just that one comment. Maybe there's more about the, the, the police starting fires. And I think that, I mean, I, I'll, give her credit for the apology. I know maybe it wasn't what people, everybody wanted to hear, but she immediately came out the next day and did a verbal and a written memo apology to everybody. So I want to at least give her the space to do that. You know, and her comments, <clears throat> though completely unfounded and not based in any evidence, they're based on a historical narrative from the civil rights um, era, which, which she was involved where that was, that was a tactic of the administration to infiltrate the, the protesters and incite violence. So I, I think that's probably where it, it came from. But yes, it was very, they were very careless words. Um, and I think, I think when you look at some of the conversations at the firehouse, that's where also where we're receiving feedback as well. And so- oh, How's that, what do you mean? You know, I think that there is a comment about um, one of the organizations that the commissioner had been a part of, uh -huh. a white, uh, firefighter didn't know what it was and it uh -huh. asked and then her comment was um, derogatory you know of just well aren't you the naive person that you know doesn't oh, so know someone, anything someone was you trying know, to educate themselves and learn and they were sort of put down by I think it put down and those uh -huh. are the conversations that really um, we are trying to help her know about those conversations and just go you said this and you offended somebody and you need to not be aggressive when you come to the fire station. You're our boss, right. but you need to choose your words carefully because we choose our words carefully. And um, so those are the conversations, and they have been very productive with their office of going. Okay. And what, what really was important, too, is that as we uh, went into the Willamette Week and the article that came out on Wednesday, yeah. 
what they said on this one was of utmost importance because there's a lot of our members that felt like um, the leadership at either the fire chief level, the commissioner's level, the mayor's needs to be 100% accurate, which it does, but it also can't be inflammatory. And so when they did respond to that article, they did not take the time to make the situation worse. So when you say they, you the commissioner's office, the mayor's office. When they responded to the was, article in the Willamette Week. Yeah. And they had their, they had their um, interview on Friday. Sarah and me had ours on Monday. Yeah. And that was made me nervous the whole time because I knew if, if, if comments were made, they could really have a very strong negative effect within our membership towards the the commissioner's office yes so overall you were at least with the article you were you were not upset by the the quotes that came out in the article they they could have been a lot more inflammatory Yes. Yes. Okay. Especially yeah. from the commissioner's office. I think that's yes. the general conversation of going, um, you know, the meeting that we were going to have was about the commissioner's quotes, about what members felt. Right. And, um, and that's the reason that I sent that message out so quick is when, because I got it and the commissioner said, we are apologizing. I said, send it to me. Yeah. And Isaac and I was, again, I was up there, I was like, Isaac, this is ready to go out. Okay. Make sure that everybody knows okay. she's already apologized that day. And it was just important before, uh, before we started um, reacting very quickly, I yeah. wanted to get that information right. out so people knew. So you guys are getting probably, you're getting messages from people who, and strongly on both sides, people who think we should be asking for her to be fired, as well as people who are saying, you know, good job staying out of it or good job communicating as well as people saying, I mean, supporting her, accepting her apology. So you're getting all these different, is that, I mean, I'm asking, is that fairly accurate? You're I getting... think that's fairly accurate. You know, and I said, and I know this is hard from um, outside, but I can tell you from inside the union hall, what we always ask, and what I would ask for our members is that we always ask for grace. We always ask for contrition when our members do something wrong, whether it's, um, you know, you, you know, I'll give you an example of Alan you know, Fershweiler doesn't uh, uh, put his mask on at the store mm -hmm. during COVID. And we say, Alan made a mistake. I didn't put my mask on. Yes, it was directive. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. And we ask for, always ask for, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. Or did it. And this is one that, as we sit there, I understand the comments. Um, in terms of everything that's going on, upset our members. And I'm not here to apologize for her because it's not my statement to make. Right. Um, but just to, to take into effect of she did apologize and please um, consider giving her a little bit of grace right now. And that is if she hadn't got PTSI <clears throat> presumption, if she hadn't got his COVID presumption, you know, the, all those things, it would be a different conversation. But we have made a lot of gains since she's been office that has helped our members. Mm -hmm. And my job is to be non-emotional and to make our lives better through the contract and through the benefits and through that. I think it's really important to um, this executive board, like I know other since I've been on the part of this, 
is they look at the overall picture. And so I think it's really important that whenever, whenever an event occurs, a statement, a, an interview, um, a quote, this executive board does a great job of looking at the last five events, statements, actions, and they look at what are the next four going to be and how does that affect our union as a whole. And so I just ask for the members to have that grace and um, there is some trust involved that we are looking at a total of 10 items, a total of 10 actions, a total of 10 statements and not just number four. And so I think that's it's a, definitely a huge quality. This executive board, um, all the district reps um, included, have the ability to do that so it's nice to be a part of that and of course underlying all of those things are keeping in mind the five the five pillars of the union uh, or labor you being wages hours working conditions safety and retirement security mm -hmm. those are supposed to be the five guiding lights for the direction of the decisions that are being made there's lots that gets folded into that but those are really are the the guiding principles. One of the things that I want to address is the Nick Perkins situation. I think it's been hard for everybody. I know it's been very hard for the commissioner. It's been hard for the fire chief, um, hard on Nick. Um, I think it's been really hard on myself. It's been hard on the primary officers as well. And um, those are the type of situations that really, really wear on, on people. And not yep. in terms of, they're just emotionally exhausting. They're tiring. Um, about two weeks, three weeks before uh, the commissioner made her statements. The Willamette Week started looking into this article. Um, where did they get, I keep getting the question, where did that come from? He states that he had three sources within the fire bureau that leaked the story to him. Uh, that is what it is. Uh, Nigel said that? Yeah, that's in his public records request. You know, three confirmed sources. And, um, which I was a little bit surprised about. But that being said, um, you know, the union, I would say me specifically is, is, um, I wouldn't say misquoted, but they always choose their quotes quite carefully. Absolutely. And so, and one of the things that I'm disappointed in is that Nigel knows there was a lot of discrepancies in the investigation. Yeah. And when you look at it, we had multiple people saying he never said it. And you have a witness saying he did say it. Um, you have the, the um, victim saying, I have you on video and i am uh, got you on video uh -huh. and there is no video i mean and, and I'm, it's not taking one side or the other it's objectively looking at the evidence that's there and at the end of the day i can tell you nick says 100 percent he didn't do it he had been drinking so he can't remember and for and recall it yeah um, i can tell you i believe it's right at a 50 50 chance of whether he said it or not and i think that's what our membership needs to know is that everybody in the primary officer's rank think it's right at a coin flip whether he said it and so as we look at the case yeah we have to look on what happens if he did do it and what happens if he didn't do it yeah and the reason we accepted the and nick accepted everything of what it is is because the, the discipline the, the discipline yeah is that this was a case that we wouldn't be able to go to arbitration with it would have been a nightmare it would have been um, very, very difficult on him. We found a middle ground. I can tell you that Nick is at peace and 
at peace with what it is. Even though he feels like he didn't say it and he's sure he didn't say what it is, yeah. he says, I've grown from this, I will be a better employee, I will do this, this, and this, and he's already done it. And so what came out of that article was disturbing in many ways. Can, and if, can, if, can you explain that a little bit? How So when you say disturbing, just the the slant or the angle that was, I mean, of course it's journalism, so there's a, they want to sell papers, they want to sell stories, so there, you know, there's that whole inflammatory nature of it, but I, I'm, again, just asking. So they make it sound very much like there was witnesses, uh, whether it was someone on the phone. Um, so you said a moment ago, I'm just sort of circling back, there was also people on his side, perhaps, outside the building, whatever, that were saying that he didn't say it. Uh, is that is that part of part of the story that was left out? Yes, but that is, I'm not ideal that that was left out, but when yeah. I say disturbing, yeah. there's, there's tenets in there that make me very nervous. And I will tell you what they are is one, um, Nigel puts in that he makes $94,000 a year. Right. So if you want to start looking at a war between the union and the fire department and the general public, that's what I say is, is disturbing. So Nigel puts in how much he makes a year, $94,000 a year base salary. Um, but that's public record. That's I mean. public record, but the public usually doesn't know that. Okay. Um, but if you look at the thing that I think makes me more nervous is when one of his KGW interviews is Nigel said, uh, they asked me, they said, well, why did you have to go and fight the public records report? Records report, uh -huh. uh, report. report. And his response was, similar to the Portland Police Union, the fire union wants to keep things uh, uh, secret, and just like the police bureau, so does the fire bureau. The, the insinuation there is that the union and the bureau were cover, trying to cover this up. Yes. So why is that? Were we? We had signed a uh, disclosure agreement that nobody would release the records. Um, for me, I have different re reasons because uh, I, I don't want to say it this way, but I'm going to have to. I think that there, the, when you have a 50-50 chance whether it happened, yeah. you don't know, do you want everybody to know about a situation that might not have happened or did? Um, you know, and you can, see where if it was factual then the if there was a video and he was on video and it was clear that would be a different that's a different story a different mm -hmm. story and that the public has the right to know um and that's what that's what when it came down to the public has the right to know um but the problem is is that if you start looking at our disciplinary process if you start looking into it the police already lost the arbitration for discipline in their in the state law and so that already happened in a very short session within about two or three days in june or july no it's july sorry the time's gone but they've can, already lost collective bargaining rights can you speak to that because i don't really know much about that one so the police in july just last July, just this, last month this, this last month lost their right to go to arbitration over discipline and that happened how did that happen was it that... was a special session to deal with the police count accountability so disciplinary issues the police can no longer arbitrate the outcome of a discipline they have to follow a matrix to be able to do that Alan, can i get back to the 
to the transparency yeah. piece and to the basically the allegations from Nigel that we are covering up or we didn't want these details to come out. Um, I would say that this union chose to hire a private investigator because if we have a member that has said these egregious things and acted inappropriate like this, we want to know. This union wants to be uh, first and foremost have that knowledge because ultimately that's going to um, that's going to change our actions. And so when Nigel basically accuses this union of hiding everything, I would say we did just the exact opposite, that we actually uh, hired our own investigator to find out, did you say this? Um, I know there were some current concerns that we were trying to hire the investigator to find out if you didn't say this, but we actually um, sent our investigator out with the goal of finding out if he said this, we want to know. We want you to interview, we want in, we want transcripts, 911 tapes, we want absolutely every piece of evidence or every rock um, turned over to make sure that we did the proper investigation that wasn't done. So you didn't give that investigator any sort of direction? No. It was not trying to CYA? Nope. It was, we want to know. Free reign. That investigator had free reign to find out did our member uh, say these things that he was being accused of. And, and that's to where we are right now. Okay. So before that meeting that we had scheduled, we knew that uh, Nigel had been looking into uh, the situation in Nashville. Um, and that is another reason that I delayed that meeting is because I felt like if we only had partial information without the members knowing that that was going to come out, uh -huh. it didn't allow the members to know that we were getting ready to take a very, very bad public beating for an issue of uh, a racial issue. Yeah, a racially charged a issue. A racially charged issue. And I felt that that was very important and I couldn't say it on that call yet on that time, but that is another thing that we had to take into effect as we decided on what to do with Hardesty's comments. What makes me nervous is as we really frame the conversation about what are we gonna do within our membership and how do we not divide our membership, the question becomes is, do we go and do we support the police? Or do we not support the police and we support the Black Lives Matter movement do we find a middle ground? And that's really what this conversation is, is really focusing about, is that we have had a lot of issues that are going on with our membership, and we need to find the middle ground. Because we have had people that have called Travis and emailed him and told him, if you don't go down here and you don't hold this sign, we're going fair share and we're out. And I've had it from the exact opposite end. If Alan, doesn't go out and stand with the police and make a public statement, I'm out of this union. And I don't think in my 15 years, 14 years in this union, this has been one of the more difficult times where we are pulled in every direction. And even a letter that I send out uh, makes people upset. This podcast will make people upset. Yeah. And that is not what we're trying to do. Right. We are tr trying to, to find the center ground. A lot has changed. When people say, I need you to align, uh, 
with the police and I need you to come out in support of that. There's a lot of issues that you have to weigh in there. What is the benefit? What is the risk? And I can tell you right now, especially with the article that came out, the more that we do in certain ways, we'll have a, a one way or the other. I was very happy. We have security cameras now at the Union Hall. I put Nicole and said, you will not be working at the Union Hall for last week. We are very happy. We were worried that the PPA would be uh, offices, Union Hall would become ours and that we would have to worry about people breaking in and stuff. And we put everything locked in the safe and doing that stuff. That didn't happen. Those were the risks, yeah. inherent risk as yeah. you look of taking those, those things on. Um, you know, one more thing about uh, uh, Commissioner Hardesty, too. There's a rhetoric out there that she's been heavy-handed in discipline. Um, and I do have to say this, is that factually, you have the incident in Nashville, and that was a six-month suspension without pay and all the other thing, things that come with it. The other ones, we have not had anybody have any time off yet at all. And even the issue that, that uh, with the calendar, yeah that is all going to be reprimands at this point, unless something changes by Tuesday, you know, when this podcast comes out. But I would say that if, if the rhetoric's out there that she has been heavy handed to our members, um, it, the record doesn't reflect that. Okay. That's good. Good information. Um, and so, but where do we go from here? I mean, what are the steps that we go from here? Because again, I had really good conversations with, with multiple people over the past month and especially over the last week. And, um, I can tell you that we are going to make steps moving forward. You know, when you look at a lot of the issues that people are talking about us about is their bureau issues. If you look at uh, hiring practices, yeah, that is a bureau issue. Yeah. But can we help? Can we give a voice? Yes, we can. Um, when you look at, at um, what we're doing, I can tell you that the union and the union officers are entering into a intense training program with with the administration so uh -huh. sarah and her staff uh -huh. and part of dr smith from the city will be doing part of it barbara diamond from the union will be doing part of it but we are going to do an in-depth program with at least our primary officers that might expand to the board as well uh -huh. of what is implicit bias what are the issues that we're facing for the day uh -huh. um, so that we can understand what's going on out there. Um, and that was part of the settlement that um, from Nick, right? I think that was at least where yeah. I heard about it. it. Was in that in the article? Is that what you're talking it about? It definitely was at the same time uh -huh. um, that those discussions happened. Right. And so, so they're know, not they're not they're not um, overlapping per se part of the settlement, but they just are sort of it's a tangential not a tangential it's. Parallel. They're happening parallel. Yes. Okay. I think it was very important to the commissioner's office that we have some of those discussions, and we um, were able to frame what what those discussions will look like and what type of training that would happen. So, okay. for us, we are going to have a at least a year long training program for our primary officers. Um, we also have the opportunity with other unions. We are doing optional steward training so the other unions are coming together and getting similar training but that um, of issues that need to be dealt with um, when you look at what we want to provide for the membership i'm going to give you some examples is that you know we are not going to have you do a mandatory training for uh, every person that's out there in the department 
what mine, and I'm sorry that I didn't convey this in the letter that I wrote very well, but we are working with the international, we are working with our attorney to come up with a training program for our members on the first step of implicit bias and racial equity and all these type of things. And okay. that, that program is still being formed. That's probably going to take, it's going to take a while to get that done, um, but that is a plan moving forward. And I really need to emphasize is that when you look at where we need to go, we are a much better off department than many places. I talked to Seattle, Kenny Stewart from Seattle for a half an hour yesterday. They have issues. They have a lot of issues, deep-seated issues. And I think our membership, we can do better, but we are also, I want to say, on the day-to-day basis, we are being very respectful for each other in many ways. There is very specific examples where we need to change. And again, I can give you about five examples that make my blood boil that have happened in the membership in the past six months that I said, I can't believe somebody would be that malicious to say something like that in our department. Something verbal. Verbal. Comments. Yeah. And those are the type of stuff that need to change. When you look at saying need to change, those are the things that I cannot believe some of the stuff that I've heard. And for the general membership that are out there, you know, whether, so I'll take 18's example. They sit there, they go to work, and they go home. And they're like, well, we don't say anything. Yeah. You know, we haven't said this word. We haven't done that. We haven't done this. And they're right. But there are examples that both Sarah and I have heard Uh that are unacceptable and we need to make sure that those things are corrected but by and large I'd want to say this is that this is also an opportunity for us to grow as a department so and, I, you know absolutely particularly the leadership like yes. captain captain lieutenants mm-hmm. chiefs that's those those little things need they make a difference and they need to probably be examined so that sounds like small small examples kind of circle you back to the, the this training you were talking about from the, the international yes so that's something the international is going to, going to sponsor for portland not necessarily they are going to be our guidance on okay this. and so this is where they uh, the international president called me i mean this was about a week what was it travis two weeks ago and he has three hundred twenty thousand members and we always joke around whether he even knows who we are or not yeah. and here he's called me on his personal cell phone and going Hey, Alan, it's, this is me. Uh-huh. It's just like, uh, okay. Hi. And he's just like, how are your members doing? How are you checking in? How are they doing? And when I, and he knows every, he's a brilliant man. And he's just like, hey, how's this doing? And at the end of the conversation, it's like, okay, well, tell Isaac hello and tell uh-huh. him he's doing a good job on it, whatever it is. Yeah. But he's a very astute person. And he said, okay, you guys, you need to protect your members. This is about your members make sure to get your house in order and make sure your members are doing good. You need to protect them. Don't start worrying about the ancillary stuff. It all matters about your contract, your hours, your working conditions, your wages. And it was a really good conversation. Um, So do you have any sight to how you see this thing rolling out? Uh, This this voluntary training? I mean, is this like a, do you, partner with the administration and target solutions or is this do you have any sense of that yet or is it just something that's in person people can come to the union hall I'm just 
you know, curious. Yeah, I think that'll all be dictated by the experts at both the international and, and through our attorney. Okay. Um, and okay. so I really see a lot of it as being online, somewhat like Target Solutions, but I think we'll do it on a different platform. The city's going to do theirs. We want to do ours. I want ours to be a building program to make us better. Okay. And, um, and I don't want it to be where people feel... I want people to feel empowered. I want them to take what they want from it. And if you don't want to be a part of it, again, I'm here for your hours, at wages, working conditions, retirement security, that type of stuff. But if I can give you the tools to be better, I want to do that. But I'm not going to force it down anybody's throat. And so one of the things that will change on what that training program is, is that we are trying to meet with our black firefighters and hear their specific issues and hear what they need from us as well. And this is important is that it is really important to me and Travis that we take the feedback, that we hear the stories, that we give them the tools that they need to be able to move uh, forward in a, in, with this. Um, and so it's very important for us to do that. I think it's great. I think it's exciting. You know, the leadership of this union um, has reached out to this group specifically to, to work on it. Um, work on any issues that we might not know. I mean, we need, uh, need to identify the blind spots that this organization has. And so having these conversations is only going to be healthy um, and create some positive change for the future. So I think it's, it's pretty awesome to be a part of it. And so today is Sunday. We're hoping to get the podcast on Tuesday. And then on the 13th, I think Friday is when okay. we're planning that meeting. When you look at where we're at as a union, and if we go out and we are aggressive and in our stances, not only do we risk the union hall here, do we risk the safety of our firefighters on duty? When you look at the police already lost their arbitration ability for discipline. And it's amazing, just last week, and you know I'm the legislative director for the state firefighters, we got legislative concept 769 which removes all arbitration for discipline from all public unions. Oh, really? Oh, yes. When is that dropping? So it's already, it's a legislative concept and it could drop as soon as next month. And so right now, we are already looking at losing our ability to go to arbitration and they're coming after us. When you look at it, whether it be dividing the membership, when you look at what are we doing with PERS bargaining? When you know that the legislature, we lost the, the Supreme Court on PERS. Yes. And so we're going into a legislative session where we're saying, don't cut anymore. When you look at us trying to get the heart and lung presumption, when you look at us, our next big fight and why we need all of our members to come together is for the budget. We are two months away from our fire chief after present a budget with $3.4 million in takeaways. And then you add on there the bereavement leave and the COVID leave were not incorporated in that 3.4 million. So we have to make a cut of possibly up to $5 million and keep our fire stations open. All those things would be at risk if we move in the wrong way right now. We have to be so calculated when we do everything that we do. And those are the reasons that we balance everything um, again Everything that we do, we take calculated and we talk about it and we do it without emotion.
to the, be- can, to the best of our ability. To the best of our abilities. And I cannot risk all those things for our membership. This time will pass. And we will have it where Portland gets back to being Portland. Downtown will be cleaned up. But we need to stay unified. We need to stay in this together. We cannot have members on one side or the other that are, are, are dividing us. We need to come together. And everybody, everybody that I talk to is at a high stress level. Yeah. Even the most mellow person. Yeah. There was one person that said, uh, said, hey, I'm thinking about going fair share. Start with my pack dues because I cannot stand what's going on right now. And we had a conversation. I was like, I've never heard you yeah. say anything bad about anybody in this whole world, let alone the union or anything. He goes, I am frustrated about this. And we talked for about a half an hour. Yeah. And it was fine. You know, if, uh, I said, I don't care about your pack dues. We want them, you know, but at the end of the day, you stayed as a member and that's what's important to me. Yeah. One of the conversations that I had with some of our members made me realize that there's an overwhelming thought that this bureau is doing everything wrong and that every person in this department has uh, issues that they need to work with, with race or gender or biases or anything like that. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, if you're listening to this, I need to say thank you for everybody that has made this a great workforce and is doing what they should be doing every day. And it is a huge percentage of people that are doing it. I would say, you know, 97% of our members are doing, making uh, every day go by and making everybody feel good coming to work and doing everything right. Um, We have room to grow, but I, I don't think that can be emphasized enough that you are doing a great job out there. You're running calls, you're going on inspections, you're treating people with respect. And I don't want that to be lost, that we know that we have a lot of stuff going right. And we appreciate the work that everybody does every day. And we have such a high level of emotion. And the- It's national, understandable, it's not a negative no, thing. It's no, it's not. No, it's really, yeah. But we need to have conversations out there. We need to have positive conversations and we need to take care of our members. And we have big things on the horizon coming up. And while we strive to stay united and strive to keep stations open, the things that are important like that, we can still move towards being a better organization, more inclusive, better humans. Yes. And know that I am walking this walk with you. And to be able to walk with, and I'll, that's going to be a shameless plug for somebody outside of bargaining unit, but I don't care. You know, I've been proud to work with Sarah in many ways. Yeah. And I'll be up front. There is stuff that Sarah makes Sarah not the ideal fire chief. When you look at her background in budgets or in, you know, politics, yeah. public relations, she hates being in front of the camera. Yeah. You know, and you go from Mike Myers that would see a camera and you jump in front of it. Yeah. Hey, what do you want to talk about? Hey, let's go. You know, there's certain uh-huh. things on like in terms of the budget and especially the PR stuff and, and those things where she's yeah. like, I'm in charge of the fire department. I'm not out to gland handle politicians. Yeah. That's what also makes her a really great chief. And she leads by her moral and ethical yep. decisions. Yeah. And she had a really difficult decision every day. She's in a just a difficult position. And I am really honored to be able to walk in a walk to make myself better yeah. to, with somebody that I respect. 
And I just hope every day, I don't know how she does it dealing with City Hall every day. Um, and God bless her for doing it. Um, but I am just honored to be able to walk with her on this time. Yeah. And, um, and I'm really, really excited to make that journey. I've watched people make a transformation. You never know what you're doing wrong until you're told. And I've been told, well, I would say this, as a union president, I'm told I'm wrong a lot. So <laughs> I'm gonna disagree with myself. I can tell you, I've got some emails I can share with you. But as a person, yeah. um, and just this is just me. I always wanna be a better husband. Yeah. I wanna be a better father. I wanna be a better union president. I wanna be a better supervisor at the fire department. I wanna be a better friend. We can do that together and we can make ourselves a better department by doing it. We need to have grace with each other. We need to be patient with each other. Have conversations. Yeah. Have them. Just be careful with them. Don't just be careful with those conversations and keep doing it. This is a time with COVID and with everything going on with the protests. I have, and we have the RR team that's deployed Oof, yeah. every day. Every day, I worry about our members. Every day, we think about our members. There's not a day that doesn't go by that this e-board and the primary officers and Travis and myself don't worry about you and don't think the best for you. So please, take care of yourselves. Travis, I know you have something. You've been sitting here ready to talk. Oh, Alan, you, I don't have anything. You, you summed up everything. I everything I wanted to say and so um, thank you for spending this time with us I think it's very important to hear in your voice the struggles that you have on a daily basis um, worrying about 700 members and their families right we have to include always that it's a package for us when we do the work that we do um, and we take the actions that we take and when the conversations we have very seriously and um, yeah, I think you summed up everything I was hoping to get out today and uh, just open up your hearts, open up your ears and, and take care of each other at the fire station level, um, which will ultimately make us a stronger, um, more inclusive union. Thanks for letting me be here. Thanks, guys.